0: All right, we are in week two of our series on James, and I need a little help. I need someone out there who has a phone or a stopwatch to time me, because I want to do a one-minute recap of last week. All right? Does someone have their phone to help me out here? All right, Katie's got her phone. Tell me when it's time to go. It's a one-minute recap of last week. Okay, so Legos are awesome. If you don't follow the instructions, though, you might make something that looks cool but is structurally very weak, and it will crumble any time the wind blows. Now, the Bible, it's a lot like Legos. It gives us the building blocks and the blueprint for a vibrant, colorful, strong, and beautiful life, and we are going through the book of James. Now, James was written by the brother of Jesus, Old Camel himself, as the book gives us a blueprint for how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. Now, looking at chapter one, we discovered a bunch of building blocks of our faith. They're all up here on this slide. It is endurance, loyalty, live for what lasts, trust and believe his word, quick to listen, be slow to speak, slow to anger, receive God's word, do God's word, control your tongue, care for others, seek holiness. And the main point of last week was to live out our faith. Faith is meant to be put into action, and the entire purpose of having a blueprint is to take what you read and make it reality. How'd I do? (laughs) Woo! There we go. I should do every sermon in one minute. How about that? (laughs) None of you believe I can do that. I'm going to guess, right? And I had to read it. If I went off script, we'd be in trouble. I mean, that eight-second question was lucky. (sighs) So we ended last week... I like sometimes in these series to give us a challenge, something tangible to work on. And last week, we had all those building blocks, and our challenge was to intentionally work on one of those building blocks that we felt like we needed a little improvement on. Uh, Throughout the course of this week, to intentionally work on it, trusting as we work, small piece by small piece, that we will build our faith, build the kingdom, and live into our purpose. And so I'm just curious, did anybody give this a go tried to work on one of these building blocks and felt like, you know what, I made a little bit of progress this week. Did any of you attempt that? All right, I see, I see a few hands out there right on. And I know there's more of you, because I know some of you, no matter how compelled you feel, you will not raise your hand. And you know what, I respect it. It's Okay. I'm encouraged to hear there is progress, and my encouragement is to keep going. You know, there's a lot there, and there's no way we could tackle all these or see growth in all of those areas, let alone one, substantially in one week. But um, hang on to that challenge and keep after it. So James 1, what we studied last week, it kind of builds the entire bedrock, the foundation for the remainder of the book of James. And now James 2 through 5, the rest of the book, it gives us more depth and examples on how to put all of this together. We have the big picture blueprint, but now it's going to dive in deeper and give us the tangibles. So chapter 2 has two main points. It could be broken down into these. We cannot love if we have judgment in our hearts. And genuine faith is revealed through our actions. As we read, we're going to discover a few more building blocks of our faith and discover more fully the life that we are meant, that we are called to live and to build as followers of Christ. But we also know when we read the Bible, we're not just simply reading a book of fiction. We're reading God's true word, and so we want to digest it. We want to be transformed by it. And so along the way in this series, because I'm just all in on this construction analogy or word picture or whatever, we are using—we're building our tools, right? We're filling our toolbox with text tools to help us understand and be transformed by God's Word. Last week was pay attention to the gut punch. Remember that? You get punched in the gut— You don't want to just get beyond the pain and move on with your life. You want to think about, wait, why did that hurt? Why was I punched in the gut? Let me sit and wrestle with this tension in the text. That was last week's tool. This week's tool is to interact with the text. If you ever look through my Bibles, you will see that I write things in them. I I underline—some of you may be surprised by this—I add exclamation points. I'm like, yeah, that's good! Or— Paul, you need another exclamation point. Paul's one of my favorite Bible writers because he uses the most exclamation points of the Bible, I think. I haven't studied it. I don't know if anyone studied it, but I think he has. And so I like him. I sometimes write uh, questions and comments. So, and the funny thing that happens is uh, I start to interact with myself, my past self. So if I, like for instance, I've written before like, what in the world does this mean after something that totally confuses me? A year or two later, I might be reading that passage, and because of the growth I've encountered or things I've learned, I might have a better understanding of what that is. And so then I'll answer my past self, this is what that means, or whatever. And so I have this little dialogue, and it's really fun to see, because you can see your growth, and you can also, when I read, I'm like, I remember when I wrote that. I remember what I was going through when that stood out to me, when I underlined this entire thing. And so it's powerful to interact with your text because it is a living and breathing and active Bible word of God. And so we interact with it because it still speaks. So that's my encouragement for you all, your tool this week to try out. Now let's read our first half here. We're going to read... Uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I hope you've been enjoying the reading plan. If you have, you've already read this uh, two full times—well, three full times? I don't even remember how we do this. It's like, yeah, two full times through three total because of the halves. Not so good at math. Let's dive in. James 2, 1 through 13. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you Favor some people over others. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting or enter anything there, enter church, comes right into service, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there, or, you know, even better yet, you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't that discrimination show your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it? the rich, who oppress you and drag you into court. Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name that you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law, For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you don't commit adultery, you have still broken the law. I wrote there, ha, so that's how it works. (laughs) So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Whew. Talk about some gut punches in there, right? Yeah. We're going to camp out on this uh, half of James for the majority of our message. Um And it's all about combating our judgmental hearts. Mm. This isn't very fun to talk about because we don't like to think that we're judgmental or judgy, but no matter how good we try to be, we all carry judgments. I mean, I have a few pictures here. I want you to take note of just your initial response when you see these pictures, uh, and and so there's a few here. Okay, we have a homeless encampment. This is actually Kalamazoo homeless individuals laying there. You can go to the next one, super ritzy house. That's my summer cottage. Um, so you have some kind of judgment when you see these things, right? Some kind of preconceived idea of the person or the people that take up the space. Go ahead and show the next one. This one's a little unfair because it's actually the same picture. Um, For those who like internet memes, imagine Pam from The Office saying it's the same picture. That's a thing. You teenagers will know what that is. But that's a Tesla, and that's actually my old car, my old Corolla that I drove for many years and I love. But you see someone driving a Tesla, and you see someone with gold duct tape on their car, you might have some assumptions of that person. What's the next one? Bunch of kids on their phones, seemingly not interacting or anything together. We may cast a judgment. Next one. And vice versa, a parent on their phone with the kid just wanting to be loved and known by dear old dad. Okay, I included, see, look at that, I even had a judgment in my comment on there. All right, thanks for showing those. Each and every single one of us, based on things we have learned, things we've assumed, things we've experienced, we constantly make judgments. It's like all day, every day, and there's snap judgments, right? It's like, ah, I know exactly what I think about that person right then, right now. We hold these certain prejudices, both known to us and unknown to us. We can be very quick to dole out judgment, but think of it on the other side. We get highly defensive anytime it comes our way, don't we? Yeah. Many times, most times I'd even say, our little judgments kind of seem small and innocent enough, right? We're not causing much damage. Like, they're gentle judgments. And maybe it's based on someone's clothes. Maybe it's based on how someone smells. And think about that. Someone might smell bad. You'll have a judgment. Someone might smell overly perfumed. You may have a judgment. Someone might smell like alcohol. You'll have a judgment. Or something else. There's a judgment. Or it might be based on someone's job, the things they say, the way they talk. I once knew someone uh, who had a speech impediment Uh, This one, not, not, not me when I was a kid, but another individual who had a speech impediment. And people, he said, all the time assumed he wasn't all that intelligent because of how he spoke. Now, I knew this individual. He was very intelligent, but people made a cast judgment on him because he had a difficult time speaking. These things may seem small, but over time they add up. All these little judgments we make, and they end up telling a big and often false story. I mean, what is a judgment anyway? Well, it's to form or give or have an opinion about someone. And it's usually a bad opinion. And generally, if we dig down deep enough, we realize it's because in some way we think we are better than that person. But James here has formed an argument we cannot ignore. Judgments may not be so innocent after all. I mean, if you think of it, Casting judgment, being judgmental, violates the standard of God's truth. Let's think about this. We're all on the same level under God. We're all created in his image, not just some of us. We are all sinful by nature, aside from Jesus, not just some of us. We are all desperately in need of a Savior, not just some. God extends his grace and his mercy to all, not just some, but some only accept the gift. We know not all do. And yet God calls us to follow him and extend that very same love to all just as he did, not just some. And when we extend it to just some, this is the danger, when we decide who's in who's out, when we decide who's worthy of our love and care and affection, all of that, in a roundabout way, we're placing ourselves higher than God. Because even God chose to dole out his grace, his mercy, his love, his care to everybody. Even though not everyone accepted it, he offered it to all. So if God offered it to all, and we're choosing that someone's not worthy of it, we are placing ourselves above him. Ooh, gut punch right then and there. But God alone is the judge. We know that. And we, as well-intentioned, good-natured Christians, have too often picked up the gavel ourselves, thinking it is our place, it is our right to judge others. But then James mentions the royal law in here. We know it's called the greatest commandment. We remember it from Matthew 22. These are the words of Jesus Christ. When someone asked him, they said, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? We know Jesus Christ replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So James says it is good if we obey this, but if we show favoritism, if we judge others, if we believe ourselves better than others, we're not actually following this command. How can we love God if we hate others? How can we love our neighbor on the left side of our house if we hate the neighbor on the right side? But elsewhere, Jesus says Christians will be known for how deeply we love. But studies show us in the eyes of many non-Christians, we are known for how deeply we judge, not for how deeply we love. There's that word that's often floated out by non Christians about Christians called hypocrites. None of us want to be a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is judging others while not aligning our faith with our actions. You could say this whole chapter is about fighting hypocrisy. It is going to get better, I promise. Pastor Kerry Newhoff, he uh, came out with an article just this past week. This is one of those divine connections when you're writing a message on judgment and reading a book on judgment. And goes, uh, here is an article on judgment. Sweet. Thanks for helping me out, Pastor Kerry. Judgmentalism is not compatible with, he argues, love, help, humility, prayer, or evangelism. We're going to unpack love, but think about it. It's hard to help someone genuinely if you are in the midst of judging them. Or it's hard to be humble if you are viewing yourself as better than someone else. It's hard to pray for someone if you're just too busy judging them and, and, and being, you know, like high and mighty about that person. And it's really hard to serve someone and teach them about Jesus if you have a huge gap between you and them. But considering love and judgment for a moment, you cannot hold love for a person— while judging them at the same time. Think about that. They're incompatible. They don't don't connect. The presence of judgment nearly always guarantees an absence of love. Where does judgment and love come into play at the same time? Well, it comes into play with God, our Almighty Judge. He is all attributes of God all at the same time. So while He's loving, while He's merciful, He's also just. And he's also judge all at once. But we have a hard time doing that. I mean, just consider marriage or a friendship or a person you just met. The level of your intimacy, your trust, your appreciation, your understanding of those individuals will go up as your judgment of them goes down. And the opposite's true as well. But when we think about this, you may be wondering to yourself, well, yeah, that's good, but what about someone that is just living in sin? And they're just living in sin. They are just sinning like mad, and you're like, they need to stop, and I'm going to tell them what they need to do. It's still not our place to judge. To help, yeah, maybe. To love, yeah, absolutely. To guide, yeah. If there's a relationship where there's, there's trust built up, then perhaps, yes, to correct, which is to hold on to that grace and that truth at the same time that Jesus teaches us about. And yet, there's still only one judge, and it is not us. It's kind of the difference of pointing our finger at somebody, you know, or pointing them to God. Oh, I didn't know that would make a noise if I hit that. Learn something new each day. I believe none of us, none of us want to be judgy. I mean, does anyone just, I want to be judgmental. Yeah, no hands will go up. None of us want to be judgy at all. But if we're honest, we sometimes just can't help it because it's a lot easier to judge someone than it is to accept them and love them. Just ask any of our students, or remember back when you're a student, your students, you know how much easier it is to judge someone than to accept them, or to love them, or to open them up uh, and invite them into your circle of friends, or to go across that lunchroom when you are able to be in a lunchroom, and sit with that other person. It reminds us of this, that if I'm judging someone, I'm not loving them. So a question about this for us all to consider. What do people need from us? Do they need our judgment? Or do they need our love? God will judge all of us. We know that. Does he need us to judge others on his behalf? I don't think so. What do you need from others? Do you want to be judged? Or do you want to be loved? Pastor Carey says, very few people get judged into life change, but many people get loved into it. Very few people get judged into life change. Many people get loved into it. So think about this. Think about your own life. Have you ever been judged unfairly? Has someone made a quick snap judgment about you, some assumption about you, and they believe something about you, and it was unfair, and the heaviness of those words still weigh you down today? It's like a chain that you carry. Think of the flip side. Was there ever a time when you messed up really bad I'm talking bad, and you expected and deserved judgment, but you received grace instead. That sticks with you. That changes you. That carries with you throughout your life and makes you want to be better. Very few people get judged into life change, but many get loved into it. Now verse 13 really brings us home for us. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Having been loved, we can love others. Having received mercy, we can extend mercy to others. And having been forgiven, we can be quick to forgive others. And so this very first half of James 2, it gives us three potent building blocks to add to the construction of our faith. The first is do not judge. To combat and fight and contend, to rid judgmental thoughts and ideas out of our hearts and minds. The next is to love God and our neighbor with everything. Not just conditionally, but to get after it. And the final one of this first half of the chapter is to give mercy. Because we've received it, we will give it. That's what it means to be Christ bringers. The very beginning of this chapter said, if we profess our faith, then go forth and reveal a ju- oh, excuse me. If we profess our faith, but then we go forth and reveal a judgmental heart, our actions are not lining up with the truth we possess or profess. That is, we are being a hypocrite if these things do not line up. And we earnestly want to live this way with our faith and our action in alignment to let go of our sinful ways, embrace Christ's way, to live a life where there's no disconnect there. And that's what the second half of this chapter is all about. The text is mostly going to speak for itself here, and it's potent. And uh, if you haven't been resting in this text this week, or even if you have, I invite you to return to it a few more times because there is a lot here. But let's hear what James has for us. Verses 14 through 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? I mean, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, and then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does any of that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds then it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions, they worked together. His action made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Thank God for the reading of His Word. True faith transforms our conduct as well as our thoughts. You may have echoes of other scripture passages ruminating in your head. I think of Romans twelve, one through two, where be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And faith transforms our conduct as well as our thoughts. James did not preach, and this is an important distinction for you theologians out there, he did not preach a work based theology. Work-based theology is where uh, we earn our salvation through our works, through our good deeds. That's how we earn salvation. That's not what he is saying here. In fact, what he's teaching is in line with Paul's theology, which is his teaching that proclaims salvation is through Christ alone. It's by faith. You see, where we come to receive Christ's salvation. Is that the word? No. His work of salvation. There we go. Our good deeds cannot earn our salvation. But true faith always results in changed lives and good deeds. Good deeds doesn't substitute for faith in Christ, but it verifies one's faith in Christ. And so in this passage, we have some more building blocks. First is to produce a harvest. See, uh, this is what we've talked about where our fruit reveals our faith. Or you could say our faith produces fruit. And so we have a building block. And the next is to align our actions with our beliefs. If we say one thing and we do another, we are no good. We are not living in faith. The next is to seek to be a friend of God. He used this with Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God because his action makes his faith complete. And that pleased God. His faithfulness pleased God. He was a friend of God. And next we have to do the hard right thing over the easy wrong thing. Those examples of Rahab and Abraham, both of them could have taken the easy way out. It would have been the wrong thing, but it would have been really easy to say, I'm good, God. I don't want to take Isaac up that mountain. I'm good but they did the hard right thing over the easy wrong. And so that's what we desire to do as well. We spent so much time on the first half of this chapter because it's one of the more obvious and difficult ways for each of us to work on aligning our beliefs with our actions. But the second half here drives it all home because our faith will produce fruit, but only if we are seeking to live our faith out. We live it out, how? But by living out that royal law. To love God, to love our neighbor with everything we have, our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And that's what this whole chapter is driving towards. The bottom line that we get from this is that true faith involves a commitment of one's whole self, our entire being, to God. We can't compartmentalize it. He calls us to be faithful with all of us. And our faith in God, He brings us salvation. And the result of our faith is a changed life that results in serving others, and then we don't copy the world that is around us. But instead, we work intentionally on these building blocks and those from last week. And our hearts start to align With God, as we build our lives on the true and solid rock of Christ. So we have our building blocks from this week, and we know when it's all said and done, God will judge us for where our actions do not align with what we believe. But because he is gracious and merciful and his forgiveness goes out and does not retreat, if we call on him as our Lord and Savior, then in God's grace, his grace will receive us and even empower us right now as he fills the gap. He simply calls us to be faithful. And that leads us to our challenge for this week. Our chapter two challenge. We are called to love God and neighbor with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So where's the disconnect for us? And encourage us all to do the hard work of identifying what one of these, uh, we have a disconnect, and to get to work. So maybe for your heart, perhaps you're holding on to some judgment within you. And if there's judgment in your heart, there's no room for love. So maybe you need to do some heart work. Or perhaps it's your mind, your thoughts, they trap us into immediately judging someone right away. And we, our, our mind is our own worst enemy, and then our mind flows through our words, which we're actually talking about next week, all about the power of our words. So we need to renew our mind and set our, th- our mind on the things that are true, the things that are above. Or perhaps it's soul work that needs to be done, that we're not carrying these things to God in prayer. That we're holding judgment for someone, but we're not praying for them. We're not praying for God to release us from our judgmental spirit. And so we need to ask his spirit for help. Or maybe it's strength. That we're relying on our own strength, and we're not putting any of this into action. And it's time to act so that our beliefs align with our actions. Whatever it is, whatever one of those is like, oh yeah, I probably need to work on that. I encourage you to dig in and dig deep this week to go to work. Because God has called us to be fully devoted followers of Christ, not partially devoted, and built on his truth, living in his way, showing the world there is so much more. We want so much more, don't we? So because we have been loved, we will love. Because we have been shown mercy, we will show mercy. We will strive not to be known by how much we judge, but by how much we love. We have the blueprint. We have the tools. We have the supplies. So let's get to work. Amen. Why don't we pray? Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have guided us in our path, that you have called us towards you, that your mercy, your love, your grace, your forgiveness extends to all. And for some of us, we have accepted that offer, that greatest gift of all time. And we have come towards you, said you are our Lord and Savior. But we do that with tension in our hearts, Lord, because there are ones that we love, those that we know that have not accepted that gift yet. And so we pray, Lord, that they may come to know you, that they may come to accept that gift, that they may come to know you as Lord and Savior, to know your Spirit's empowerment and encouragement and comfort, to know the love of Jesus, to know that you are a good, loving, and merciful Father. And Lord, in those ways that we have not aligned our actions with what we believe about you, we do repent of those things before you now. We offer them up to you, Lord, and we pray that you reveal to us what we need to do to step closer to you again today so that we may love you with our whole mind, our whole hearts, with all of our strength. That you will guide us, Lord. We thank you that you are gracious to us. And so as we prepare to sing these songs, we do so Resting in the knowledge that you are good, you are the judge, and we are not. You have called us, you have given us a purpose, and you are gracious to us. So we give you thanks today, Lord, and we build our lives on you, Solid Rock, today. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things, saying amen.